you're listening to the hybrid cloud forecast series with host andre tost hello and welcome to today's episode of the hybrid cloud forecast Today, we'll talk about security, and we have Shrida Mupadi with us. Shrida is an, an IBM fellow and also the CTO of IBM Security. Welcome. Glad to have you, Shrida. Hi, Andre. Thanks for having me. And I guess we should just start out with um, letting Shrida introduce himself, You know, tell us what your background is, your professional background, what your position is at IBM, and that will probably lead itself to telling us why security is the topic of today's conversation. Yeah, thanks, Andre. I started with IBM as a graduate student. Um, IBM funded my research and ended up working with IBM. I had a unique opportunity of working across a number of different parts of IBM, which is across product development, services, solution architecture. And I got some unique insight into the end-to-end security posture for a organization. Also had a great opportunity with working with a large number of customers. And that helps me in terms of not just delivering the solutions, but also creating an impact to our products and how they can be matured. So today what I do is um, I'm in the role of the CTO for the IBM Security Division, driving the technical strategy, architecture, and research for the division, which comprises of both products, consulting, and managed security services. Okay. And, you know, one reason why I was particularly looking forward to this episode is that usually I keep saying that usually when someone says the word security, I try to run out of the room because it's not exactly my area of expertise. And and I think I'm not alone in, in that position. At the same time, um, wh- whenever we talk of cloud, obviously security is a is a, a big, big uh, and critical piece of that. So given that we're t- want to talk particularly about hybrid cloud here, maybe we can start by having you give us your interpretation or definition of what hybrid cloud is to begin with. And then we'll lead into, you know, how we then, you know, associate that with the topic of security. You're actually right, Andre. Security tends to be a a complex topic and a geeky topic, for lack of better words, right? Um, But it's becoming more and more a business conversation these days. It's no longer something that bits and bytes or crypto, but being able to assist the business in terms of of providing security for the business transformations. So it's getting better. It's getting better. So have some faith. Now, in terms of hybrid cloud, a large number of our customers, as you know, are embarking on journey to cloud transformation, right? And as they do that, they're trying to figure out the right environment to run their workloads in. Workloads are all not all the same, right? Some are computationally intensive. Some are data intensive. Some are more of a uh, presentation centric. And the answer for that is not always one type of cloud or it could be different types of cloud mechanisms, whether it's a private cloud, a public cloud, a a combination thereof. So we define the hybrid cloud as a mechanism where customers have a distributed environment which comprises of a on-prem and off-prem environment, which could be a combination of a private cloud or a public cloud, and a public cloud could be a combination of any of the major vendors out there. And the best example, Andre, actually, that comes to my mind is is a CISO, which is the Chief Information Security Officer 
officer who has a spreadsheet. The spreadsheet has a list of applications that they're transforming. And in the second column of that, right across from the applications, it's a set of workloads that make up that application. And for each of those workloads, he's defined what's the best place to run that workload. For example, a computationally intensive workload, probably best suited in something like Amazon. A workload which is highly sensitive, data intensive, probably makes sense for them to keep it on-prem and run it in a private cloud. It's a combination that makes it hybrid cloud. And I actually feel like, you know, on that point, it's actually adding to the equation, so to speak, because not only do you need to secure all these locations by themselves, but you also, in a true hybrid fashion, you need to secure the integration, the link between them, so to speak, which adds a whole nother element of, of complexity to the equation, right? Absolutely. I think when you now add security to it, you're absolutely right. Most of our customers do a very good job of managing security within a data center. There's always more to do, but for the most part, most of the organizations are fairly secure. And then we have the third party and the fourth party risk. Now, when you add cloud, it's about understanding and delivering in a shared responsibility model. It's about you know providing a connection as you talk about, right? And connection is not just the network connections, but also the people connection and the culture connections that have to be made. How do you deliver security when it is not serviced by one organization or entity, but as a combination of different entities that have to come together so that from a customer perspective, they have to have the visibility, be able to understand the potential security um, control points, detect any anomalies and correct them as we go. So how does that get started? I mean, if you, as you engage with an enterprise and they're establishing, you know, some form of hybrid cloud or or solutions across cloud locations and trying to integrate those and they're coming to you and say, can you help us secure this? So maybe maybe you can help help me get a bit of a, a, a structure in terms of what are the different topics, what are the different layers of the security onion, if you will, that need to be covered? Yeah, you, you're right in looking at it as, as an onion, actually. In general, most of the time, customers are coming to us as they are embarking on a cloud journey for a business transformation, whether it is modernizing an application, whether it is using data in different ways so that you can draw insights and creating value. All of these are transformations that customers are embarking on, and they want to make sure that we keep them secure. And most of the time, it's about how do we make sure that a specific transformation is secure, but at the same time, be able to demonstrate the compliance that we need for from an overall organization perspective, right? The, the line of business is focused on speed and agility of the transformation, which I think we want to support. And at the same time, the security office is looking to ensure that we're demonstrating compliance as well as safeguarding the company from any bad actors. So the way we define that layered cake or the onion is first and foremost, map it to the business to basically say, how do we deliver business objectives, which is governance and risk and compliance, business continuity, service management and operations. These are the business objectives that any customers want to deliver, ensuring that if it's if it's a regulated workload, right? Imagine that's a financial application, you want to make sure that it can be uh, addressing some of the highly regulated requirements in that industry. So that's where the business layer comes in at the first moment. The second thing, the second layer would be to be able to take these regulatory requirements and requirements for compliance 
and distill them into a set of controls. Controls are things like, hey, Andre can access this database, or in this role, he can do these three things, or he cannot do these other things. Um, making sure that a specific workload is protected by encryption or tokenization, or any other mechanisms that implement these controls. Controls are implemented, but you also have to monitor them to ensure that the controls have done right. It's about making sure who has access to what and making sure that it is indeed delivered. So this continuous monitoring to ensure that the controls are in place, demonstrate compliance, and look for any anomalies so that we can correct them very quickly. So that's a second layer. The third layer is the culture. And as we look at hybrid, we're talking about federation. We're talking about different organizations and entities that have to come together potentially. And we're talking about not just one central office called the security office, which is delivering security, but also line of business or anybody touching on the business transformation, potentially delivering security. And the way to do that is to have a culture to think about security right from the get-go. And that's where things like DevOps come in and hence the DevSecOps to be able to infuse security right from the planning stage of the application all the way to delivering it and running it and, and operating it at scale. So that's how I would define it, a business layer for compliance a technical layer for implementing controls and monitoring them continuously, and a layer for infusing security throughout the life cycle, like DevOps, which is cultural to a certain extent. Based on the recent conversation, I'd like to poke a bit on the uh, on the culture piece of it. I was, and this was actually multiple conversations recently, where I had the impression that the, the customer we were talking to, that their security team and their application development team were not necessarily seeing eye to eye. Where the security team is, is viewed viewed as a necessary evil, maybe, as in something that brings additional rules and, and, and obligations that developers kind of feel, feel intrusive, feel like intrusive and getting in the way, so to speak, right? And and I do think, though, that DevSecOps is, I mean, first of all, just observing that we started out by calling a process of bringing applications into production DevOps, and now we're starting to call it DevSecOps to make basically make security a first-class element of that. And, and, and that is, to some degree, a cultural thing by application developers embracing this as something that they need to do. Exactly. And it starts with empathy. It starts with it's you know a, a strategy, right? Um, security in general as seen as more of a stick, more as a gate, and that needs to evolve to more of a guardrail. Gates, as you know, can can result in backup of loads of cars. Right. Um, and that's what ends up happening. And that's the reason why some of the developer or the line of business think about security as a potential bottleneck. But as we look at the modern era of hybrid cloud and supporting the digital transformation, we have to think about security as a guardrail. How do we provide those guardrails so that if somebody wants to speed at 70 miles an hour, sure, we are, I'm in Texas, so 70 miles is okay. Um, it's you, you're okay to do that um, and, and provide that guidance. And that guidance comes in terms of policies, that guidance comes in terms of mechanisms to ensure that these developers or line of business can run at speed. But then having those controls and monitoring that I was talking about to continuously monitor these so that in case something bad happens, we can quickly correct them. Let's not assume that we're going to get everything right on day one. I'm not saying that we should we should start with making mistakes, but mistakes do happen as long as we know how to catch them and correct them quickly. It's okay. And as long as there's the process, we 
we can embrace that culture of co-creation versus you know security office being treated as a bottleneck. So given that that's the case, then how can we help use technology to make this easier and make this better and less intrusive for for developers? And I think one element that that I think of that, and I hope you can give an example of it, is to say what well, it used to be that security just these controls that you mentioned earlier that they are about tracking and then reporting, but that we now want to go and become get ahead of the curve, so to speak, by basically consistently and constantly monitoring and being able to detect anomalies and predict problems before they even occur. And that's going to lead me kind of, that's a lead in for me into now that, you know, we put AI at the forefront of everything we do, how do I apply that to security? So in other words, how do I secure my environments in, an, in a more intelligent way than what we could do in the past? It's a very broad question, but let's take one piece at a time, right? Um, and maybe we'll use a DevOps and DevSecOps as the framework to have a discussion, right? So it starts with education to and, and shifting left. Um, as, as we're thinking about delivering applications or transformations, and even at the planning stage, we need to start thinking about threat modeling, making sure it's a very simple application, an application talking to a database at the back end, sitting on a cloud infrastructure, whether it's public or private, has a lot of set of threats that it's susceptible to. And modeling that upfront is a really good practice. And what we're doing over here, Andre, is we're shifting left because the cost of detecting a threat in production is way higher than trying to detect it much earlier in the life cycle and fixing it. Thousands of times order of magnitude difference. So we start with the threat modeling. And as you're developing application, you employ some secure engineering best practices, secure and security and privacy by design best practices. And we do that by education. We do that by tooling to ensure that, you know, developers are, are trying to do the right thing, right? You know, hey, this is a buffer over for a problem. You know, you need to go and do some things over here so that you don't have a, a random string come in over here and do something bad like a SQL injection, right? Um, those are the things that we can easily catch during development phase. Now, once you develop, let's say these days, most developers focusing on containerization and functions, we have to scan these, scanning using, you know, workload protection tools that go into the process of scanning the container workloads as an example to see if there's any vulnerabilities in the code and match them to industry-known vulnerabilities. And, and there's repositories of industry-known vulnerabilities. So it's the first thing that we can do for hygiene to say, making sure that the system is patched, the application is patched before even it goes into the testing phase and production phase. And this phase is around cloud workload protection that is able to scan and, and come back with a list of open issues that you can go and, and fix them fairly quickly. And you go further into the life cycle. Now you're deploying them into various cloud environments, whether it's public cloud, whether it's private cloud, whether it's a you know, data center um, or something else. It's sitting in, in a different types of infrastructure. And infrastructure has configurations. And these configurations can be defined to best practices. This is where I was talking about guardrails. How do you make sure that this workload running in a public cloud needs to be configured with the following parameters? The fact that this file is encrypted or or these ports are locked, or making sure that um, this application 
is not running as root um, or you know being able to propagate the identity from the application to the backend database but using a you know an identity which is probably a, a token um, and passing the identity of the user in the context. These are all the best practices that one can think of that can be defined as configuration parameters. Now, the interesting thing, though, is we've got tools like posture management tools that go there and check for changes in that configuration. It's one thing to go and say, you've done a really good job of defining these configurations and best practices. But the chances are that somebody may go behind and change those parameters or configurations. So it makes sense to continuously monitor and say, hey, something has changed. Let me go and course correct and fix it very quickly. And then as you move further along, you know, in, in testing and configuration to put it into production, this is where you're doing some more of what we call um, scanning and testing for potential vulnerabilities in production. We, you know, in some cases, it's called ethical hacking as well. This is where you're checking to see, and it doesn't have to be in production. It could be in QA, it could be in testing, but it's a step it is important to go and check to see, are there any known vulnerabilities that attackers could come in? Are there known techniques that they can easily exploit? Um, attackers are also looking at potential vulnerabilities, just like we look at them, and they look to see if any system has those unpatched. They exploit those. By testing upfront, we're able to detect those, use risk as a mechanism to prioritize those and fix them very quickly. On, on that point, actually, it's something that that I, I, I keep reading about, but I've never come across it, that companies actually hire external consultants to act as hackers, right? To pretend to be malicious hackers and to, to uncover gaps in their security story, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We do this all the time. I myself have spent about three years as part of my career doing that um, ethical hacking, we go through the process of getting the T's and uh, you know, C's um, for the contract to make sure uh, we, we don't harm the organization. But this is, this is um, we are trying to see what's the best way that we can get into the environment. And we show the organization what the open doors may be so that we can quickly bolt them and latch them base. Now, just to finish that thought on that process, on that life cycle around DevSecOps, right? And, uh, and, and the last phase is the manage and the operations of the application. And this is where you're constantly monitoring. Monitoring through not just demonstrate the compliance to make sure that all the controls that we put in are still there, but also monitoring to see if there's any anomalies and then be able to go and remediate them very quickly. Now, you asked a very interesting question to say, okay, if that's a baseline, what are we doing to help accelerate that or automate that using AI, right? And each step of the way, we use machine learning to be able to accelerate that step, being able to use machine learning to go and find those vulnerabilities in containers, being able to use machine learning to find out if there's any scope creep or changes in configuration, being able to use machine learning for risk quantification, ability for exploiting a specific vulnerability called weaponization to see how, where do we prioritize fixing these patches? We use machine learning to make the protection more proactive. We use machine learning to make the detection more accurate because we do have a lot of alerts. How do you make sure that you focus the security organization to focus on the right alerts? And then we use machine learning to automate the response. That's how we help accelerate the infusion of security across the lifecycle of DevOps. You know, I had, this was years ago, I had a conversation with a security team at, at a bank. And, and in that 
in that conversation, in that particular case, it was about firewalls. And they said, we need fire, we need physical firewalls to do a certain degree of isolation between workloads. And what in our solution, we had virtual firewalls. And so they said, no, we have a rule that says you, they cannot be virtual, they need to be physical. And we said, well, they're technically doing the same thing. And I remember how the, the team lead there said to me, Andre, this is not about technical specifications. This is about risk management. We're trying to estimate what the risk might be. And there's a level of trust in all of this that is, you know, and it somehow disagrees with my engineering principles of where I say, well, a virtual firewall, you know, it satisfies all the technical requirements towards a firewall. But they were saying, well, that's not the only part to the story. And I think that's where AI and machine learning can also help where you need, where there is a degree of uncertainty in the answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think in a good example is in, in you know, we tend to talk about security as, as just keep the bad guys out. But security is also about letting the good guys in. You can be paranoid. So we use machine learning to evaluate or calculate the risk across who's coming in, what device they're coming in from, um, both the bad signals and the good signals, what environment they're coming from, what is the behavior of the user, what is the behavior of the transaction. We put it all through the ringer and the business context to evaluate and come up with the risk scoring mechanism that can then be used to say how much friction to put for that specific user. Do you need a two-factor authentication or do you need a strong authentication? Or this is Andre coming in from his own laptop trying to do the same thing that he does every day and the same transaction, the risk is much lower in that case. Okay, let's poke a bit at, at kind of the technologies that make all of this possible, right? So I, I wonder, and I guess I have two questions, you know, what can you give some specific examples of technologies and maybe projects that you're involved in that, that get you excited, that are progressing and, and are innovative? And then also, how does this happen? Um, and, and I guess I'm somewhat leading the witness here into saying, is there a community aspect to it, right? Is there, what, what are the things that are happening out there as opposed to being hidden in a, in, in any particular vendor's lab? Yeah, um, this is this is absolutely a passion of mine. Um, if you look at the security market and, and landscape, security is very, very fragmented. It is delivered from pretty much every product, you know, cloud providers, you know, specific security vendors, and even applications, database vendors, everybody delivers security. And customers have a challenge of pulling it all together so that they have a holistic view of security and, and be able to address some of the business outcomes. And the reality is that these vendors and products don't necessarily talk to each other. And not because anybody is good or bad. It's just that we're not designed to talk to each other, whether it's political reasons, privacy reasons, you know, competitive reasons, many, many reasons. And that becomes a huge challenge for customers. Imagine you are in a crime scene and you've just stumbled upon a crime scene and you're the investigator and there's 14 people over there all speaking different languages. Really, really difficult to do some investigation. So this is where one of the advancements that, that we are leading is around open security. Now, the term open security means um, open innovation, open incubation, being able to have a mechanisms by which we have interoperable products and, and be able to drive collective best practices in the industry. On the onset, it sounds like an oxymoron, open and security, which actually works to pull a mechanism to integrate different vendor capabilities together and deliver security outcomes. Now, traditionally, security has been product-driven and capability-driven. And as we move to the hybrid cloud, we now having to deal with security from Amazon, security from Azure, security from IBM Cloud, security from products that a customer has invested 
existed many years ago. Like you said, the che- the firewalls, the virtual firewalls, the, the routers or uh, security uh, called the endpoint detection and response capabilities, etc. The way the market is evolving is we're moving from a product-centric focus to a platform-centric focus, where you have a platform that is able to bring these different technologies together so that you're able to get that visibility across the hybrid cloud environment, able to provide a mechanism to get alerts from different places and, and pinpoint exactly what are the four alerts to go after versus playing whack-a-mole, and then be able to accelerate that investigation. And then open security helps accelerate that. If you're not open, then you're in the business of taking each vendor capability and integrating with another vendor, and it could, it's going to be an order of N magnitude problem, which you know is complex. By creating open specifications to standards, and one such organization is Open Cybersecurity Alliance, we're able to create things like you know Sticks Shifter, which is able to do some federated searches and federated analytics. So you don't have to bring the data into one place, but be able to distribute that searches and run analytics on top of it. Using things like you know OpenC2 and and Kakao, we're able to do orchestrated responses or or standards-based orchestration, so that you don't have to write integrations with each and every vendor out there, but using standards as a way to drive that response. This is a passion of mine, Andre, personally, that I've been spending a lot of time on. Okay, um, we're coming to the close of the episode here. And usually, you know, in past episodes, as I've been interviewing folks, I've always thought that sounds like a really exciting, interesting area that I want. Maybe maybe I should change my career, right? And, and I have to admit, in your case, I'm not there yet. I still find security a kind of a uh, a mystery to some degree, but but this conversation definitely has helped clear some things up. Maybe to, to wrap it up, if you could just describe to us kind of what's a typical day in the life of the CTO of IBM Security, kind of what, what gets you excited to go to work every morning? Solving customer problems gets me out of the bed. That is very exciting. I'm extremely fortunate to work with a large number of customers and solve some mission critical problems, whether it is airline industry, whether it is financial, or whether it is insurance we're solving some really big problems at scale. And security, as you said, is always, always exciting. There's always something happening on a daily basis, whether it is protecting the supply chain for Moderna vaccine, or we are trying to deal with the the, the pipeline, uh, colonial pipeline situation recently. We always have exciting problems to solve, and we put our expertise to, to work. Expertise is not just the people, but also the data that we see. We see a large amount of data across the world. And we use that as a mechanism to train the models that we use in machine learning so that we can accelerate some of the investigation time. In industry, the average time these days to detect something is about 200 days. That's the long time, right? And our focus and my challenge, my excitement is continuing to make that smaller and smaller and smaller so that we can detect these threats very quickly and remediate them in an automated manner. All right. Very cool. Well, that let's... That just leaves me with um, thanking you for coming. I really appreciate you being here today. Oh, thank you, Andre. It was fun, and I hope this was very useful. Thank you. It sure was. And uh, with that, this wraps up today's episode. Thank you all for listening, and see you all soon.